0: Hey, remember high school math? You're doing these problems, these formulas, and then you finally had the nerve to ask the teacher, when the heck are we ever gonna use this in the real world? Well, in today's episode, I'm gonna tell you when. Stay tuned for this week's edition of Solving the Financial Puzzle. Welcome to Solving the Financial Puzzle, where we seek to unravel the mysteries of personal finance. Join us as we help you put together the pieces of your own financial puzzle. This is Solving the Financial Puzzle with Certified Financial Planner, Dan Caprell. So, first question. Can you remember the name of your high school math teachers? And you know, he probably had at least three or four. I can only remember one, and that's because she had a very unusual name. Mrs. Cheeseman yeah you don't forget a name like Cheeseman right (laughs) I guess you could have had a worse name but the name of Cheeseman is always gonna be burnt into my memory anyway I'll never forget somebody I didn't ask it I didn't have the nerve to ask it but as we were going through all these various things with statistics and you know there was a group in our in our math class who definitely wanted to become engineers so to them this was valuable stuff but for those of us who had other interests We couldn't help but ask her, when are we really gonna use this? You know, at first she was a little taken aback by that. And then she looked at one of the kids in the class and she said, I promise you, you will need this every day of your life. I don't know if she made that up or not, but it is interesting because there are certain basics of math that really do come into play particularly when it comes to the matters of personal finance. And those that we learn in stats class especially are incredibly, incredibly important. And so that's what we're gonna get into today. Now, before we get started, I wanna give you the obligatory disclaimer. I'm here to educate you. I'm not here to give you any specific advice. Chances are I don't know you. Now, if you are a client of ours, fine, but please pick up the phone first before you act on anything that you hear on this show. But the purpose of this show is to give you some education, hopefully give you education you've never heard before. So with that, let's discuss high school statistics. Yeah, I know you, you would just as soon have blocked that out of your mind permanently. Maybe you already have. But rather than get into the boring formulas of things, let's talk about what we learned from there and how it relates to real life, because we're gonna ultimately take that information I'm about to share with you, and I'm gonna show you how it's very, very useful in building your long-term savings plan if you're looking to get the maximum amount of return for the least amount of risk. So let's not talk about money for a second here. Let's talk instead about the weather. Now, you may not realize this, maybe you do, but, the average temperature of Northern cities is not a whole lot different than the average temperature of Southern cities. Let me give you an example. Uh, the average temperature of New York City and the average temperature of Atlanta, Georgia are in the mid to high 50s. So you take the high temperature of every single day of the year and you add them up and then you divide them by 365 and that will give you the average temperature. And in both cases they're they're right around the high fifties. But what do we know about New York that's different than Atlanta? Well, New York gets just as hot as Atlanta gets hot over the course of a year. I guarantee you, if you've never lived in Manhattan, I have, you know, you're easily gonna get those days with a hundred degrees, probably even higher, you know, because it's everything's concrete. So they're gonna rival the best that Atlanta can produce. However, New York is also gonna get much colder in the wintertime. So there's gonna be a lot more variance, inconsistency, if you will. Whereas Atlanta, well, they're gonna get the occasional cold day. They're not gonna get the the same amount of spells as New York. They're just not. So it's a more consistent temperature. Now, consistency or inconsistency, however you wanna look at it, those two things can be measured mathematically. It's called standard deviation. Now, does that ring a bell? If it doesn't, that's okay. I'm not gonna take you through the formula on how you calculate standard deviation. But let me explain. Standard deviation is the way that we measure inconsistency. So if the temperature of Atlanta was every single day 70 degrees, it never changed, then it would have a standard deviation of zero. But the more fluctuation that Atlanta has, especially around the average temperature, the higher the standard deviation will be. So New York, which has the same average temperature as Atlanta, has a lot more variance day to day. As a result, it has a higher standard deviation than Atlanta. I would imagine San Diego has an even lower standard deviation than Atlanta has because it's a far more consistent climate. So we're all looking for that perfect place to retire. You know, that place where every day it's going to be 75 degrees. Well, if you can find it, then that place will have a standard deviation of zero as it relates to its temperature. Well, as you know, there isn't a single place on Earth that has that. We have variance everywhere you go. So as we are trying to live our life, we do not like inconsistency. Nobody does. Study after study shows that. People like to... They like to rely on things when there's shocking news or unexpected news that rattles our cages. So we can see it in the weather. You can see it in the the number of minutes it takes you to drive to work every day. It's never the exact same. Some days everything's perfect. You hit every light. There's no traffic on the highway. And then there's other days where there's not only traffic, you get stuck behind the train and you show up 10 minutes late. Now, most of the time you can pretty much predict it. My son was telling me just the other day, if he leaves his home at seven seventeen, exactly, and he lives in the city of Indianapolis, so he leaves his apartment, he's got to walk a couple blocks to his car and then drives to the suburbs where his office is. If he leaves the his door at 717, he will get there just before eight o'clock. But there's always gonna be those occasional days where there's gonna be some variance to that. So if you were if you had to drive two hours every day to go to work, you're gonna get a lot more interruptions then if you only have to drive say, you know, 45 minutes. So I guess it's really, we really should look at this in terms of miles. All right, so how does this relate to money? Well, portfolios work the same way. Every investment has a level of inconsistency to it that can be measured based on its past performance. Now you always hear that line that past performance is no reliable indicator of future performance, and that is true. But you can learn from past performance. So if I look at the temperature of New York, and you ask me what's the weather like in August, having lived there before, I will tell you, well, it's probably gonna be between 80 and 90 degrees. Now, how do I know that? Well, because every other August of my life, that's where it fit in. Is it guaranteed? Absolutely not. Is it highly likely? You bet. So you see, we can learn from the past. We just can't predict with precise accuracy the future based on the past. All right, so same would be with the portfolio. The large US stock market, as defined by the standard and Poor's 500. It's the 500 largest companies. It comprises about, oh, I think 80% of the total value of, of the market. All right, that collection of companies, they perform different rates of return as a group and individually. Now as a group, their average rate of return historically ranges between nine and 11%. You can go all the way back to the 1920s. You can average that out and you're going to find it's going to be you know, rough right now. If you did that average, it's going to be roughly about 10%. Now there's going to be many years where that group of stocks performed higher than 10 and many years where it performed well below negative rates of return. But over the long haul, it has clearly produced a positive rate of return. And the evidence is in the quality of life that you live. The quality of life that you live today dwarfs that of past generations. And it's because you live in a capitalist world where corporations have improved your quality of life. And so as they have improved your quality of life, their value has increased. But again, their value does not increase consistently every single year. So here we are in early 2018, and after a very great 2017, where rates of return just seem to go up every single month, we're now starting to see that's not always the case. There's volatility. So if I'm an investor, what I would love to have is an investment that gives me a very high rate of return with a very low standard deviation. I would like to find an investment that maybe gives me nine, 10, 11% every single year. and never deviates away from that, right? I mean, who wouldn't? But the truth of the matter is that does not exist. So when we are evaluating other investment options, we need to be mindful of this. You know, for a little while there, people were mistakenly thinking that Bitcoin, in my opinion, was a good investment. I think it's a horrible investment. And people would say, well, why? It's gone from like six cents to, at that time, probably $15,000. And my point was because the expected return, the long-term average return, which quite frankly, we can't even calculate yet because it hasn't been around very long, But if you were to look at that and you were to compare it and then look at the volatility associated with Bitcoin, you could clearly find another investment option where the return would be the same or higher with far less volatility, statistically speaking. Now that doesn't mean in any given month, one uh, that I know for certain that one investment's gonna beat the other, I don't. I just know over time what is likely to happen. I'm playing the odds, I'm using the odds in my favor. So if you're an investor, and let's say you buy the Vanguard Index 500 fund, so you own a piece of the market, you own the 500 largest companies that make up the US stock market. You watch the news, it's going to tell you the S&P was up 3%, whatever, it's down 2%, your rate of return in that fund is going to be very, very close to it. Not exact, because technically you can't really invest in index. You can invest in something that copies the index, but there's going to be some distinctions between them. But you're gonna be very, very close to that. Now, just to give you a little bit of math on the S&P 500, and I'm gonna go back to the early 1970s, where the average return is about 10, 10%. But the volatility as defined by standard deviation is a 17. All right, so what does that mean? Well, statistically, if I have a return of 10, and a standard deviation of 17, then, Two thirds of the time, a little more than two thirds of the time, 68% of the time, I'm going to get a rate of return within one standard deviation of the average. The way we do that is we simply add 17, the standard deviation, to the return, the average return, 10. So 10 plus 17 is 27. That's the high side. We're going to subtract 17 from 10 to get the range for the low side, minus 7 to plus 27. 68% of the time, you're gonna get a rate of return within that range, minus seven plus 27. That's only 68% of the time. What about the rest of the time? Well, 95% of the time, you're gonna get a rate of return within two standard deviations of the average. This means we have to add 17 to 10 twice to get the upside. So 17 times two is 34 plus 10, 44. So if you're in the SP 500 fund, statistically, there's a 95% chance that your highest rate of return will be 44%. Now, what about the downside? I mean, if 44% is the upside, what about the downside? Well, we have to do the same thing. We have to now subtract 17 twice from 10. So the first time we did it earlier, 17 minus 10 is minus 7 minus another 17, is negative 24. So if you're going to invest in an S&P 500 fund, there's a 95% chance that you're gonna get a rate of return between minus 24 and plus 44%. And if you look at the returns that the S&P has produced over say the last 20, 30 years, you'll see they almost all fall in that group. I say almost because there there was a brief moment there in 2008 where it was even worse. So, I said 95% of the time that's where you're gonna fall in. 100% of the time you can't calculate that. But this is the reality of being an investor is you have a range of returns that mathematically you can rely upon for most of your occurrences. Here's the thing though. You're never gonna know where within that range you're gonna fall each year in advance. You'll never know until it actually happens. So logically you know you're supposed to be a long-term investor. But emotionally, you understand, of course, that a negative year is much more painful than a positive year. So when Mrs. Cheeseman was teaching me how statistics worked, that's, this is exactly what she was referring to. She was referring to the inconsistency of anything, whether it be uh, building something and the, the margin for error you have to have when you're trying to measure something out or portfolio performance. So Mrs. Cheeseman, You were right, I was wrong. I did need to know this information, okay. Now, what if I'm an investor and I look at that and I say, okay, geez, minus 24, plus 44. I can't invest this way, what can I do? Well, what you can do is you can diversify your portfolio beyond just owning the S&P 500. And if you do that, mathematically, you can increase your chances for a higher rate of return. You may also be able to increase your chances for less volatility by blending in different things. You see, certain asset classes move differently at different times. They don't all move in step with each other. So if the large US stock market goes up, say 3%, that doesn't mean all the other asset classes are gonna go up by three. Some may move up, but not by the same extreme. Now it would be really great if we could find an investment out there that did the complete opposite and you could hedge your bets that does not exist. All right. Not at least not in the world of equities. So what we want to do is we want to blend other things into our portfolio so that we can measure the improvement being made in average return and standard deviation. So one of the questions I always like to ask people when they come see me for the first time is why are you investing the way you're investing? And I'll get some answer. It doesn't really matter. But at the end of the day, I always have to point out to the fact that, well, you've got 16.4% in this investment, and you've got 22.8% in that investment, and you got another 14.8% in that investment. Why? And maybe it doesn't shock you to learn that very few people can answer that why. They don't know why. I just bought the stuff. Well, here's the thing. It's important to know why. And of course, if there was no reason for it, we need to create a reason. What we need to do is we need to build our portfolio in such a way that statistically we improve our chances for a higher, more consistent rate of return. Now, the only way that you're going to be able to do that is by understanding how different different asset classes work together. You need to blend your asset classes in a way that does that, that you can measure that. So if you're ever getting any type of professional advice, you need to ask that question. This asset allocation model that you've provided me, Mr. Advisor, what's been the 30, 40-year rate of return and what's been the standard deviation? And you'll watch their head start to spin. <laughs> They'll know the answer, hopefully. It's the fact that you asked it. They're going to actually be quite impressed. But that's a, that's a question you need to have the answer to. If they can't answer it, then why are we doing it the way that we're doing it? It's interesting because there are some advisors out there who believe that they can make adjustments to your portfolio in the short run that will give you higher rates of return that they somehow can move your money before the rest of the market moves. That's their belief. They're called tactical allocation managers. Now, you know, of course the problem, there's so many problems to that because what they're suggesting is they know the news of the day before it actually occurs. But what they're trying to do is give you a higher return with a lower standard deviation by making these changes. Do they quantify it? Probably not. But whenever somebody's suggesting to you that they can do that in the short run by moving your money around, that gets to another mathematical equation that Mrs. Cheeseman taught us. And that was the transitive properties of inequality. And the way that one worked is if A is greater than B and B is greater than C, then by default, A is greater than C. Well, what the heck does that mean? Well, let me ask you this. Do you believe that the news of the day is unpredictable? I'm going to hazard a guess you said yes. I mean, who knows the news before it happens, right? That's why it's news. Well, would you agree that markets react to news? I think there's plenty of evidence to show they do. So if the news of the day is unpredictable and markets react to news, aren't therefore markets unpredictable? Of course they are. So why are we making a lot of short-term changes into our portfolio in anticipation of what's gonna happen in the next six, nine months and we don't even know what that's going to be? You throw that one at your advisor and you're gonna get their heads to spin even more with smoke starting to come out of their ears. So what I want you to take away from all of this is that statistics are important. They're important especially to your portfolio. And what you need to know is what is the average rate of return your portfolio? And what is the level of volatility that you can expect as defined by standard deviation? And then take it one step further. Based on that, based on that average return and standard deviation, what range of returns can you expect to see 95% of the time? So this takes us now to this week's Puzzle Solver segment. Okay, so for this week's Puzzle Solver segment, We're going to answer that question. We're going to answer the question about what is our actual volatility? And we're going to help you do that, very simple. So if you go to uh, the website for today's show, which is dancapril.com, and you'll see all of our episodes, and just just click on this episode for today. This episode is going to be called Revenge of the Math Teacher. Click on that, and you scroll down, and you're going to see the Puzzle Solver Download, I want you to click on the download and then you will then be able to enter in some information and if you send it back to us and all the information is right there on the sheet, we're gonna help you to calculate what your average rate of return is likely to be over time and what is your standard deviation. We're gonna be able to show you what the level of volatility is there for you, all right? So go there, download that. I have a feeling it's gonna be a bit of an eye-opener for you when you see it. Remember, go to dancapril.com and click on today's segment, which is called Revenge of Your Math Teacher. Well, in this week of Filling the Bucket, Filling the Bucket, just so you know, is that part of the show where we remind you it's never about how much money you've accumulated, it's about what you're gonna do with your life. And I'm a big believer that the best time to fill in the bucket list, those things you wanna do before you die, The best time to do that is the present, because we always live in the present. Someday never comes. So, as I record this, I'm getting ready to leave to go to Franklin, Tennessee. Now, I've never been to Franklin, Tennessee, but I've heard some pretty neat things about it. And one of the things I'd like to do at some point in my future is to live in the southeast. Not too far away from Cincinnati, Ohio, where where I live currently. But I'd like to live in an area where the climate, especially during the winter months, is a little bit less seasonal, (laughs) let's say. And has access to things like mountains and really especially trout streams. And Tennessee has a lot of that going for it. And I love music. I love country music. So what we're going to do is we're going to venture to this town. Now, I don't know what's going to come of it. Chances are very little, other than we'll say if we like it or not. I am going to have a brief coffee with a realtor. Now, just so you know, for those of you who work with us, somewhere, I'm not moving anywhere. If anything, at some point in the future, I might find a place that I like and we'll probably split the time there. But as I told my wife, you know, I said, look, we're 55. It's time now to take a little bit of action on some of these things or at least make it more than just talk. So in filling the bucket, I want to challenge you. And I want to challenge you to think about your current lifestyle and ask yourself, what's that one thing you've always wanted to change that you never got around to doing it? Well, let's do that. Okay, I don't care what it is. It could be a hobby. It could be uh, a place you want to go. It could be a relationship you want to mend. It doesn't matter. What is your Franklin, Tennessee? What's going to be that one area that you're at least willing to explore? All right? I'd love to hear from you what you did. So feel free. Reach out to us. Shoot us an email. If you go to Dancaprill.com, you can click there where it's indicated. You can send us an email. Let us know what you're thinking. Would love to hear about it from you. And also while you're there, why don't you sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, Your Money Jigsaw. Every week we send it out full of great ideas, things we pull from the media that you find of use. If we have any upcoming webinars or things like that, those will appear as well. Get on our subscription list for that. Again, go to dancapril.com. click on any of the episodes in that case, and you'll see the subscription box for Your Money Jigsaw. Time now for the question of the week. This week's question comes from Bill. Bill lives in Mason, Ohio. And Bill's question is, I just recently sold our home and we are in the process of looking for a new one. We're gonna be living with our daughter in the meantime. I anticipate we're gonna buy the house, the new house within six months. Where should I put the money in the meantime? I hate to put it in the bank because let's face it, they don't pay anything. Bill, great question. I feel your pain, brother. You know, there was a time you could lend your money to the bank, which is what you're doing when you're depositing money in the bank, and you could get yeah. some interest, three, four, 5%. Now, it's almost as if it's negative interest. On the other hand, though, Bill, you're not getting negative interest. They won't give you negative interest. Worst case scenario, you just make a little bit of money. Maybe over the course of six months, a half a percentage point. Here's the thing, though, Bill. Anything else you try, there's an excellent chance that in six months it won't be worth the same amount, it could be worth less. You know, we are talking about standard deviation earlier. You know, if you think I'll just put it in the market and then in six months I'll pull it back out, well, the problem with that is you may have less. So we have to be very careful not to get too greedy. Banks do serve a purpose. Not a huge purpose when it comes to our money, but they do serve a small purpose. And they're a great place for you to hold money for a short term period, because they're not gonna give you a negative rate of return. You will get some return. One thing you may wanna try is a rolling CD, maybe every three months, maybe every six months. If you have to break the terms of the CD, that's okay. The only thing you've given up is some of the interest that's accrued. You're not gonna give up any of your principal. But please, fight the temptation that so many people have of trying to get a super high return in the short period. Now, look, if that money, if you didn't need it in six months, I'd be the first one to get, tell you, yes, you should diversify it. You should probably be in many different things, but that's not the case. You indicated you're going to need that money again soon. So be smart, be smart bill, put a bank, look for a CD money, market account, something like that. Chances are you're not going to see a significant difference one way or the other, but take a look, see what you can get out there. But at the end of the day, let's keep it smart. Let's keep it safe. Yeah, in hindsight, you're going to look back and you say, you know, I could have just put this in whatever and it would have done better. Yeah, but that's the problem, Bill. You never knew that. You didn't have the power of hindsight. Be smart. And so that wraps up this week's segment of solving the financial puzzle. Boy, that went fast. I hope you now have an appreciation for your math teacher. If she's still alive, look her up. Send her an email. Thank her. Seller, her hey i just found out how valuable what you taught us really really was because it really is understand what your standard deviation is so go to dancapril.com click on this week's episode download today's puzzle solver worksheet get that information to us and we'll be more than happy to calculate it for you to show you based on the asset classes that you're in what your long-term risk an average return are likely to be. Now, there are plenty of online calculators. So if you want to do this yourself, that's fine. Just offering to do it for you can go a lot faster. So dancapril.com is where you want to go. You want to click on this week's episode. Also, remember the Your Money Jigsaw, great newsletter. We send it out every single week. Lots of information in there to kind of help you along the way. So appreciate you tuning in. Look forward to next time. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to Solving the Financial Puzzle. If you want to find out more about Dan Capril or about today's topic, visit MatsonandCapril.com. And be sure to join us for the next edition of Solving the Financial Puzzle.